Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is Cesar Pliqueta. This is William. This is Ali Riley. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener, and with no further delay, let's jump right in. And welcome back, Chelsea fans, bringing you another episode of the London is Blue podcast, myself, Brandon. Dan and Nick, gentlemen, welcome back. It has it's been an entire week since we last recorded, Nick. I don't know if that's a record or anything, but it feels like it was not that long ago. I think it's our longest break of the season. <laughs> I honestly, I think like the amount of matches that have gone on and all the pod specials and everything that we've recorded, I think I think a week is the longest time we've been away. So we're sorry, and also you're welcome. Oh, we had so much time for activities. That that was the real important thing. So much time for activities. I even did laundry today, guys. I mean, that's how much time we had. It's it's incredible. So so yeah, that's so that's where Nick's at. Yep. Um. Anyways, also bringing in a guest. If you've been a listener over the years, no surprise here. Uh, For those of you who maybe are newer to the show, uh, we want to welcome Jeff Borzello. He is a college basketball expert. For ESPN, welcome back, Jeff. It's uh, it's good to have you back on, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm I I think the last time I was on, they beat Southampton in like October, and so I'm I'm glad I'm back. Unfortunately, it's not on a positive note, 
but it's all right. Nonetheless, it is good to be reunited. Uh, that is that is one of the perks of being a Chelsea fan is you, you have all these friends around the country you get to chat with every now and then. So uh, it is good to have you back. Um, bit of a special episode, though, Dan, is it not? Uh, as we all come together to celebrate a young-looking 114-year-old in our lives. <laughs> That's right. Uh, not Crypt Keeper-esque in any capacity, but uh, Chelsea as of today. So this would be uh, March 10th when we're recording. It turns 114 years old. So in the Rising Sun pub across from where Sanford Bridge is located currently, now known as the Butcher's Hook, in the uh, upstairs room, Chelsea was founded. Yes, that's right, in a pub. And since then, eight league titles, eight FA Cups, five league cups, one European Cup, one Europa League, one Super win- uh, Cup Winners Cup, and then a Super Cup as well. So, uh, blue is definitely the color there, Nick. Yeah, running out of running out of space in the in the trophy cabinet, so we'll have to build an extension. Uh, well, we just I- lease out Spurs, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, we just borrow it. it <clears throat> see, the problem, though, is you have to clear out all the dust, you know, and I, that's an extensive process. I mean, it's really layered in there, Dan. So, yeah, uh, it's a pretty incredible, you know, thing to look back on all the history. And, uh, and I got to give a shout out to uh, our friends at, at Barron's Badges who uh, have made our, our uh, little pins that we give out to friends of the pod. They put out like a commemorative graphic and I think a commemorative pin that basically showed the Rising Sun pub and the Chelsea crest behind it and uh, and Gus Mears um, walking up to the pub. So a really cool, um, really cool tribute uh, to the club. And Jeff, I mean, it's a big part of our lives. We have to we have to pay tribute, huh? Yeah, I actually had no idea until I, I mean, I saw the tweet and I was like, oh, like this is like, again, I wish it was a they celebrated a little bit better than they did. But it's I mean, 114 years like that's. I mean, it's a it's a significant amount of time, and uh, for for those who say that Chelsea's only been around for twenty years, this is a it's a good good tweet to save and and point to people. It is extremely special as well. I mean, can you imagine being you know the mirrors back then and what it has grown into? I mean, we were lucky enough to do that historical tour with Rick Glanville when yeah. we were there uh, over New Year's time. And uh, just hearing about what it kind of went through, all these potential, uh, moments of collapse within the club's history in the early times. I mean, it's just, it, it's fantastic. And I think, Nick, you pointed out, uh, it brings so many of us together from all different walks of life. Uh, the social impact that sports has uh, in this world is absolutely amazing. So I think we should uh, uh, just continue on doing what we do and support the club through this uh, this podcast we've got going. So with that being said, um, Nick, we, you know, to support the podcast, have thrown our names into the hat for the Football Blogging Awards. Yeah, yeah. So for those who um, have been with us for a little while, the last time the Football Blogging Awards happened, I think they took a year or a little bit more off um, from doing a, an official award ceremony. Uh, we entered our name for Best Podcast, um, and you know, I think one of the Liverpool pods or whatever won, so that sucks. Um this First time, trophy Liverpool got in a really long time. <laughs> uh, this time, though, we are um, we're happy that football blogging awards has kind of opened up to a more international uh, audience, and so they have a best international content creator award uh, that we would love your uh, nomination for, so we can eventually be in the voting process. So 
Um, if you go to footballbloggingawards.co.uk, uh, you'll be able to uh, look at the the entry form, and we'd love you to put uh, London is Blue podcast in as the best international content creator, and then. Uh, you know that we have to give our friends a little bit of love, too. We'd love you to put the Chelsea Fancast as the best podcast uh, in that group, Dan. I mean, it's uh, it's cool that we get to potentially uh, run alongside them for the uh, for the awards. Look, we want to paint it blue. You know, there, there's no there's no use in having a, a Spurs podcast win anything. I mean, they're not used to winning as a culture. So that's just completely, you know, against their nature, atypical. Uh, we don't want it to be a city podcast because it was probably funded by oil money and, you know, it's going to be under investigation through FIFA and UEFA. So really, we, we just want all the Chelsea content to rise to the top. And, you know, we kind of partner with our friends at the FanCast and we're going to let them take the best podcast channel. We're going to go after that best international content creator channel and hopefully we can paint the awards blue as it were. Yeah, Chidge has always said, Brandon, that if if it were up to him, every podcast would be a Chelsea podcast. So... Uh, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. We know we have his blessing and they have our support, which is awesome. Uh, Dan, two new five stars reviews in the iTunes store. That's correct. Uh, they did not leave a comment. So they are the uh, the equivalent of the unknown sh- soldier of iTunes reviews. So a uh, high five to them for their wonderful support. But we did have a third from T Skills RXJ. KDC, that's right, that's a wonderful handle, who just gave some fire emoji, which is probably due to the powder keg, Nicholas, even though there was no actual comment. Well, you know, after last week, you seemed a little hurt, you seemed a little bothered that Brandon got a shout out, so we'll just, we'll describe this one to you and say that it was for, for really for Nicholas's contributions on the podcast. Just putting all all this hard work in, you know, I just want to get a little recognition, you know, it's fine. Cool. Yeah, and uh, if you leave a comment, though, if you leave a five-star review on iTunes, don't forget to put a comment in so that we can shout you out and thank you at the beginning of a podcast. Just a glory chaser, aren't you, Nick? Come on. <laughs> uh, well, <coughs> excuse me. We have a ton of Patreon joinees uh, in the club. This is patrons, fantastic. Patrons, I believe they're called. Uh, no, joinees, definitely, to the <laughs> patron club. <laughs> joinees. <laughs> so plenty of activity has been going on in the Discord server during the matches and some really, really in-depth conversations uh, have been occurring about what the transfer ban appeal being denied can mean for some specific Chelsea loanees, kind of talking about you know, with the loan army, with the current crop, with or without Eden, what's the what's the you know roster going to look like potentially next season? That is the kind of stuff going down in our Discord. It's awesome. Uh, it's very respectful. It is very uh, insightful. I would recommend you join up, just like Rich, Dan, Nagkumar, Nathan, Joey, Luke, Albert, and Logan all have. And uh, there's a really good chance that, that Dan with the generic avatar is our very own one. Just Yeah, that's that's not the case. That's padding not. the stats. No, no, you're a real listener, a real Dan out there, and we appreciate you for that. Uh, but anyways, it is now time to get into the match review. It was Wolverhampton Wanderers in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge this past Sunday, March 10th. Scoreline was 1-1. And the lineups, Dan, were as follows. That's right. We saw Keppa in the in between the sticks, as it were. We saw Rudiger, Aspilicueta, David Luis, and Emerson. That's right. Alonso was not featuring or not even on the bench for this particular match. Jorginho, Conte, and Kovacic. 
were the midfield three, and then En Hazard, Pedro, and Higuain were our front three. We did see a bench of Willie Caballero, Andreas Christensen, Ross Barkley, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Olivier Giroud, Callum Hudson-Odoi, and William Ruben, Callum, and William were the three individuals to make it onto the pitch in the 56, 61st, and 72nd minute, respectively. So, Jeff, looking at the lineup, uh, uh, some changes kind of, you know, in and out a little bit. Emerson kind of, I think, really showing that he's the first choice left back at the moment. Um, otherwise, Kovacic back in over Barkley. I'm, you know, don't know how you necessarily feel about that. Pedro in over William probably makes sense. Anyways, you saw the lineup. Initial thoughts or kind of maybe concerns? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's maybe it's the the sort of the first choice eleven right now. And and like you, I was like, you know, Kovacic has he really locked down that spot? I don't think so. Um, it doesn't seem like Loftus Cheek is at um, you know full health or maybe to play sixty to ninety minutes. So maybe that's why he didn't start, but. It seemed like Sari has liked Ross Barkley a lot this season, so I sort of expected him to come back into the fold. But um, I think just based on purely on today, I do think that Loftus-Cheek might get that spot moving forward. It seems like Sari counts on him whenever he can, whenever Loftus-Cheek is healthy. Um, but that was sort of the only surprise, and that might be the only spot that's not fully nailed down. Yeah, I think a fully fit Ruben is great. I mean, we even saw how dynamic he got at the end of the match. I think we can talk about that, but you're you're right. I think that midfield is not exactly where a lot of people think it's going to be uh, at its best. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, interesting, <laughs> interestingly enough, Nick uh, Chelsea had 22 shots, six on target, 76 percent possession, 820 passes, 90 percent pass accuracy, a mere eight fouls, one caution, one offsides, and third. Teen miserable corners and it all meant nothing <laughs> like I like <clears throat> I'm going to be as pessimistic in this episode as I've been for a long time uh, because this you know it episode summary we blew it we blew an opportunity uh, that I think most of us you know there, there was at three weeks ago there was a very slim window to get back into the top four race really and then you know, we beat Spurs. They dropped more points at Southampton this weekend. Arsenal and United kind of middling, uh, having a couple draws. And the opportunity opens back up. And if we would have won this game and won our game in hand, we would have been up to third place, um, you know, really firmly in the in the chase for top four. And I laughed at Spurs yesterday. I laughed at them that they couldn't beat Southampton. Uh and, you know, in a game that I think they played relatively well in. And uh, then for Chelsea to come out today and absolutely shit the bed, um, it, it's really disheartening. And it puts me in a, a pretty negative play stand that I haven't been, you know, for, uh, for a while, probably since 6-0. Yeah, it wasn't the best possible result we could have hoped for. It was... A must-win game. It was the opportunity to really catapult back into the conversation and to take the positivity from the last few matches, the result at Dynamo Kiev, the uh, result against Tottenham, even the you know Warriors' effort against Manchester City in the League Cup final. All of those were building this really positive momentum, and then. Lo and behold, we hit a little bit of a stumbling block and really put into jeopardy the return to Champions League football and potentially make it hinge more on can we actually 
win the Europa League, which is not necessarily, you know, you wanted both avenues to be available right now, Brandon, and that might not be as easy as it seems. Yep, it's never that simple and easy. But let's go ahead and kind of dive into uh, the goals before we do our in-depth analysis of the match. So real quick, 56th minute, uh, Raul Jimenez assists Jota. Opta Joe tweeting one, Raul Jimenez scored with Wolves' first shot against Chelsea in this match. Him and Diego Jota have combined for each of Wolves' last three Premier League goals breakthrough. Now, this was because the first one that went in was offsides. Uh, and thankfully for, or no, I'm sorry, handball wasn't offsides. It was a handball. Uh, but Nick, I think you had tweeted the fact that you were so upset that Wolves can essentially have one counterattack and be expertly dangerous and Chelsea can have 22 attacks and come up with not a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it just feels like the familiar trend that we've seen this year, which is like you just read off all those stats. 76% possession, 820 passes to Wolves 274. They clearly decided that this was not a game that they were going to win playing football with us. And because Nuno Espirito Santo is a wonderful manager, and I really I respect the hell out of him for what he's done with Wolves, he he just played his game. He played a 3-5-2. He, he battened down the hatches. He provided no room for our attacking force to really break through. I mean, we'll get to Iguain. He was useless today. Um, and they did what Chelsea's done to a lot of opponents years and years prior, which is just hit on the counterattack one or two times, and it was enough. Uh, you know, it was a masterful game plan, Dan. It was something that... You know, of course, the goal was kind of sloppy, but uh, Diego Jota is a player for sure and, and is probably on everybody's watch list for, you know, kind of an up and comer. Well, I, I, you know, Jota and Jimenez both deserve credit for sticking with it. But that goal was there, there's a lot of blame to run around. But David Luis and Antonio Rudiger have to be hitting themselves on the back of the head, wondering you know how both of them could you know, basically corroborate or put together a a worse defense for the passing movement. You know, Louise misses the the initial ball past him and kind of roots down to, you know, try to throw uh, throw him and his off as, you know, Jota starts running by. Rudiger gets turned a couple times and they really just lacked any cohesive element to to put that one to bed. I mean, even you know the, the difference between our side and, and maybe what Pep would do with his dark arts of tactical fouling is he would have you know, if he felt like one of the players was getting away from it instead of trying to stand it up and make a proper tackle, tackle would have told one of his players just to, you know, whack the guy down and either take the yellow card and, you know, put it into a free kick situation or a dead ball situation and defend that. And ultimately, that was just a, a real lapse of judgment in two of our players who, who really have done better on a lot of occasions this season and just weren't up to the task today. There were six guys back against this, against this counterattack. Like this... Like when 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 Bournemouth beat us four uh, nothing and they killed us on the counter, it was because we were terribly wide open. Like this was a cheap giveaway in the final third for sure. But uh, Wolves had two guys on this counter. Chelsea had like six back, and like this goal frustrated me to no end. It was it, like there were multiple chances they could have stopped the ball, whether through fouling or just standing there, and it somehow got through. Like it, it wasn't a four on two or anything like that. It was two on six. 
And like, it just, it just, it annoyed me just the way it happened. Like it wasn't, I don't know. It just, if you, if you stop it when they have, when they're crossing sort of the center line, they have two guys, Chelsea have six with the seventh running back and that's it. And you would expect like, you know, you could sort of see it coming some sort of attempt at a counterattack. But you're like, all right, Chelsea have six guys back. This will peter out. And suddenly they have a two on one at the 18. And it's just like, how does that happen between midfield and the 18 yard box? And it's just, it's, to me, like this was one of the more frustrating goals they've given up all season. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, just camped out in Wolves half. And then and maybe it was just the inattentiveness, you know, caught off guard a little bit because they hadn't had to defend all match. But either way, it was it was amazingly frustrating. And then it was a little slapstick, right? It was like uh, in off the post kind of it just it it all fell apart at the crucial moments. And and I think the biggest thing, Jeff, is you could see it coming, right? You knew the ball went out wide. You knew it was coming back in and it would just was they were unable to stop it. Uh, thankfully, we have one Eden Azard, who in the 92nd minute off of a very innocent and inconspicuous pass from William just beats one guy. Everybody knows what's about to happen. He pulls the trigger, and Dan, honestly, I was surprised it went in, but he did bury it in the side netting. And the fact it didn't hit anybody on the way through was was brilliant. Yeah, perfect goal. And, you know, a lot of things had to go right for that. Edin draws enough people, you know, towards him. So it kind of moves them away from goal. Patricio actually goes in the right direction and starts moving that way as you look at the the video footage from behind goal. And so he's heading in the right direction. So the fact that Hazard's goal goes to the point where Patricio was actually going and still makes it in through a very, very crowded box is even more exceptional and really salvages, you know, what what could have been a terrible three points dropped and at least gets one back, which is still a very much a consolation prize in the quest for top four. But, you know, Opta Joe with the stat that Ennazard has now scored 50 Premier League goals at Stamford Bridge. Only Man United five have more players to score 50 plus home goals in the competition than Chelsea. Also Lampard and Drogba exclusive, Brandon. Yeah. He is exclusively our most dangerous player. That is not, a, there's no doubt about that. At Statman Dave, seeing Ed Nazard has been directly involved in a goal every .9 games in the league this season. He is scoring and assisting at an unbelievable rate. And I think that that's pretty true. But unfortunately, on our first topic of discussion, There's the adage, one point saved, two points lost. But Chelsea desperately needed all three points today to inch closer and closer to securing a top four finish. Nick, what went wrong with Sarri's approach to this match? Or was there not a bad approach? If you look at the XG plot for Chelsea... You know, they had 1.1 expected goals to 0.5. Well, again, I, I tip my cap to to Wolves' approach. I, I think, you know, they, they did what they had to do to get their, their point. I would have been really intrigued. Instead of just, you know, it just felt like we were ramming the, the castle gates every single, you know, time we had an attack and just getting repelled every single time. I would have been intrigued to see, and I know this is not Sarri's philosophy, so it would have never happened. I would have been intrigued to see if we would have just dropped back a little bit and and, and let Wolves come on to us. Um, 
only because they were so expertly positioned for this entire game. And I, I know blocks were not uh, accounted for in your in your stat column that you read off earlier. But it seemed like they had about 190 blocks of our shots in this game. Uh, I would have been intrigued to see if we would have dropped back a little bit um, and and someone would have had to attack. You know, the ball's just not going to sit in the middle of the field. Um, what would have possibly happened? Uh, I don't know if it would have gone any better for us or not, but, uh, you know, this is not a new trend. You know, teams who are not going to play uh, football with us will – just sit back, and if they're good enough, they'll do exactly what Wolves did today, put as many people in the middle so our strikers have no room to to operate, and we'll try and double mark Ed and Hazard and hope that Pedro doesn't burn him on the other side. I mean, that's essentially what you were doing. And, Dan, the, the thing I think that made me the most frustrated was this game was, in my mind, just as important as the Tottenham game a couple weeks ago. Now, it wasn't a rivalry and so, or, or Derby match. So the, you know, maybe the air is out of that balloon a little bit, but the points are all the, all the same. We have to win draws are not uh, draws are not worthy results at this point. So I'm, I'm really disheartened that he didn't come out at halftime with a different approach. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things to unpacking what you just said. And I think one of those is that ultimately you would hope that, if we were going to draw matches, the ones that you would want to potentially draw are the Liverpool and United matches that remain. And really, you'd want to win out on the quote unquote, uh, in the face of this, winnable matches against teams that typically a top six side would beat. Now, I think the the relative thing to keep in mind is that Wolves actually against top six opposition this year uh, in this Premier League season have been exceptionally good. They've drawn city they've beaten liverpool they've beaten spurs like they, they are a very very capable team and I, so i think you know the the one thing we can't do is just look past the fact that wolves came into this game with a very specific plan to go out and make life difficult for the players they by only marking half of the pitch could really cut down in pretty much any passing lane you know they didn't actually need to press Jorginho. they were pressing Jorginho's passing lanes to disrupt the situation at hand and you know, it really was looked like almost that the players were just not prepared or didn't look like they were ready for the game plan that was they were going up against Jeff. Yeah, I mean, it's just for early on, you could tell that we weren't going to be able to pass it into the back of the net. We weren't going to be able to get any good clear shots off because uh, they were going to block everything. Like it, it seemed very early on that it was going to have to be some sort of individual moment of magic, whether it was, you know, Hazard taking somebody on, Pedro taking somebody on. Um, you know, Hudson Doyle when he came on and it, it seemed like it took a little bit too long for Chelsea to realize that. I mean, it, it you know, Chelsea have had trouble breaking down these deep, narrow blocks for years now. And when it's up, when it's against a good team like Wolves, it's even harder. And, you know, I think it was just very evident that it was going to take Hazard beating one or two guys, Pedro, Willian, somebody beating one or two men and then getting a shot off. I think that's the only way they were going to score. And it seemed like for about, you know, 60 minutes, they didn't realize that. And then you bring Walter Sheik on, you bring Hudson and Doyle on, you have some guys that can take players on. Before that, I mean, it was nothing. It was Hazard was trying to do it a little bit. Pedro, maybe. But Iguain's not doing it. Kovic is not really doing it. Jorginho, Conte, they're not doing it. And so it was just very predictable, our attack. It was, it was short passes. It was kind of slow. 
I mean, you can just look at even in the final 30 minutes. I mean, Louise, Rudiger, and, and Aspi had more touches than everyone else by far. And that's just, it's, it's very easy to stop when your, your three main outlets are, you know, two center backs and a right back. You know, we weren't getting touches in dangerous areas. It was just recycling possession nonstop. And I get, you know, you have to do it against a, a deep block like that just to keep possession. But it just seemed like at some point somebody needed to, to wake up and say, hey, we're going to have to just beat guys dribbling. You know, we're going to have to, you know, win take-ons, beat one or two men, get a shot off, or create one-twos. And we didn't really see that until Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi came on. And obviously the goal came as a result of Hazard beating beating a couple guys and then getting a shot off. And it was it was pretty obvious to me really, really early on that was going to be the way we were going to score. It's pretty interesting. Obviously, Maurizio, I, I don't think he's really been that scathing in post-match interviews and maybe this isn't right maybe i'm amplifying it uh but uh naz on twitter saying um when marito answered the question about changing his system marito said quote for the first time we were playing against a team that didn't want to play false they didn't they didn't counterattack in the last 20 minutes so we had to try i think end quote and so he was saying that he changed this system because there was little risk. He's saying that Wolves had essentially stopped attacking, so why not go to a 4-2-3-1, 4-2-4, whatever type of you know formation you want to go at it. Um, but you know, if you know, to be By the fair, way, he, was, he, it, was it a, to me like it wasn't really a change in the system? It was just like, hey, let's throw more attackers on and figure it out. Right. Like it, just, it didn't seem like they had ever practiced having a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-2-4. It was just like, all right, you know, we have another oh, no attacker. Chance. Let's let's throw him on. Let's let's pretend that Loftus-Cheek and Conte are in a two-man midfield. It was basically like, hey, we're going to have, you know, a four-man back line. Emerson, you're going to hug the touch line. Conte's going to be the lone midfielder. And the other six guys just hang out around the 18. Like, it was yeah. just, it was so sloppy. And, I mean, I get it. I mean, it's what you have to do. It's just like, clearly they've never worked on this once in training on how to play with, you know, five or six attackers. And that was sort of an issue throughout the game. It was just, they always had four or five guys within 10 yards of each other. And it just made it even easier for Wolves to defend it. Well, it was, it was there was a, uh, there was one tweet that was essentially that it was a four Conte five. And I think that was a pretty apt description of what we were trying to do <laughs> at the end of the match there is basically everyone was forward. It was like a, a Hail Mary pass. And just, you were basically putting everyone as far back as possible and hoping that a tip, a bounce, a you know, a, a nutmeg would happen that would put the ball in the right position, and there was no real strategy other than just a, a prayer that it was going to work. And you know, the the unfortunate thing is we are one of the most unlucky sides when it comes to big chances missed this season, hits against the woodwork. You know, the amount of corners that hit first men that you would believe it's a contract bonus for these players. Um, you know, it's just, it's not, you know, anything that we could rely on other than the take a shot from distance. And whether it's Ruben Loftus-Cheek, whether it's Eden Hazard, you know, you need those players who are comfortable and confident to take a shot from outside the box when there is a a low success or a low probability opportunity versus passing it for the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time to hope to find a narrow avenue to get it, you know, five five yards closer versus maybe just taking it from outside the box, Nick. Uh, yeah. I like if this were the, the first opponent that we had, you know, that decided to hunker down and play like this against us, I could forgive it. Right. Like, Oh man, this, this is a new setup. You know, teams are not, 
you know, specifically Wolves, has played some good football this year, right? Like, they actually have. I, I, I don't mind watching their matches for the most part. But teams like Newcastle and, you know, teams like Cardiff and Burnley and Southampton at the beginning of the year and, and you know, basically anyone without a real cut-and-thrust attack has done this to us all year because they're terrified of what an uh, open Eden Hazard can do, what an open William can do, what an open Pedro can do, you know, and so on and so forth. And we are lacking a lot on this squad, but I think in moments like this, it's not only that we're, you know, not able to find the, the kind of final ball, but we're also lacking in my mind, leadership to try and get people to do something else. You saw Louise pointing around a lot in this game and just saying like, Hey, go over there this time. That's to me, that's not good enough. You know, like it, it's, it's trying. So I give him credit for trying, but like, it, it doesn't scream to me like, Hey, we need to like try something else. We need Eden Hazard, you know, screaming at Emerson to not be two feet away from him at all times. Like there, there's just so much, Brandon, there was so much wrong with the attack today that it's would take an entire four podcast to figure out kind of every move, but it was just bad. Bad, bad, bad. Yep, sure was. Uh, but we got the uh, system change we all wanted, right? No? Oh, okay. Well, um, I think we're going to have to continue <laughs> to see what happens. Obviously, Maurizio uh, knows that a 4-2-3-1 doesn't work with Jorginho. Uh, it doesn't really seem like that's what he's interested in doing. So I don't really think some people are like, oh, he's going to change. No, I don't. I think we'll be 4-3-3 again, um, you know, kicking it off again. But yeah, just kind of the setup. And and I think overwhelmingly, we actually started with, is it one point saved or two points lost? About one it right after we scored. We had another chance for the ball. just went right through the box. No one got a touch on it. I mean, it was it was there. But uh, I would probably say it's one point saved since we didn't look like we were going to score until Ed Nazard just flipped the switch. Um, but as always, let us know what you guys think on social media. Uh, we're going to take a real quick break and we're back. We're going to be talking about Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Callum Hudson-Odoi. All right, here it is. Now we are diving into a huge portion of what we got on our Discord server today. Uh, I think, you know, understandably, a lot of fans want to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Callum Hudson-Odoi starting. Yes, they were substitutes. A lot of people said the way we ended is the way we should have started. Um, But look, Maurizio needed some energy and physicality and the ability to take people on 1v1, and so that's why they came on. Uh, A huge shout-out to Logan JS from Patreon for asking about their performances um he had a long question so we'll just summarize it you know how did they do on the day and was there evidence for them to start ahead of their peers so you know jeff uh let me give you what sorry said about each sub um and then we want to kick this off with you because we really haven't gotten your take on ruben or callum so first Maurizio on ruben quote lofts cheek we needed more physical impact in the opposition box end quote well that's quite literal and then for Callum Hudson-Odoi, Maurizio says, quote, because it was impossible to change the match in our moment, it was important to have a player who's able at 1v1. Then we changed our system for the first time, end quote. All right, Jeff, floor is yours. Well, I mean, just to, to address the quotes, like, when are those things not needed? Um, like, 
Loftus-Cheek brings more physical impact. He's better 1v1. Hudson Joy is better 1v1. Like, when is that not necessary in a game? I mean, like, I mean, I get sometimes you need a little bit more defense, and that's why it, it worked against City and Spurs and like that. But in most other games, I just don't see how those two aren't necessary in, in pretty much every game. I mean, right now, I think Loftus-Cheek deserves to start more. Um, you know, I do think Pedro is in relatively good form, and Williams looked pretty good at times lately. But Loftus-Cheek is, to me, head and shoulders better than Kovacic and Barkley. Um, Kovacic, I don't know what he really brings to the table. I actually think he's better in Jorginho's role than he is in that sort of Hamshik type eight ten role. And Barkley, I just I don't think he's very good. Um, and like Loftus-Cheek, you saw the moment he came on, Chelsea just looked that much more dangerous. You know, he was taking guys on. He's bigger. He's physical. He's better in the air. Um, you know, we saw earlier in the season he's not afraid to take shots from outside the box. I mean, I guess Barkley's not either, but. You know, lost the streak. I think he had a hat trick earlier this season, if I'm not mistaken. So he just brings more to the table than both of them. And to me, you put him in that that third spot in the midfield alongside Conte and Jorginho, or Conte and Kovacic, whoever you want. Um, under sorry if that was going to be Jorginho, but to me, like you bring him in, and that that just shores up that left side. And I just think it makes them that much more dangerous, that much more physical in the midfield, especially with two guys like Conte and Jorginho that aren't that big. And then Hudson Adoy, I mean, I probably share the same opinion as everybody else. I think he needs to be playing more. Um, you know, even if he just rotates starts with Pedro and William, like that's fine with me. He doesn't need to start every game. Um, you know, like I said, I mean, Pedro's been in, in really good form. He probably should have had a hat trick earlier in the week. Uh, William's come up with some big goals and he goes on runs that, that Hudson Adoy just really isn't doing right now. But to me, you, you can just rotate him as a starter with those other two, and I think he'd be happy. I think the fan base would be happy. I think everybody would be happy. Um, but the quotes to me just seem kind of weird. Like, it is, he, he clearly knows what both of those two bring and just only uses them at certain times. And maybe he's waiting for Loftus-Cheek to be healthy, and maybe he doesn't want to upset the dressing room by, by benching William or Pedro for extended periods. But I think that, you know, like pretty much everyone else, the way that the line, the 11 that we had on the pitch at the end of the game is the best 11. Um, you know, obviously, they're not going to play a 4-3-3-1 or a 4-2-4, but, uh, you know, you could spot in Georgina, you could put Blaine on the bench, and, and if you really want, you put Christensen in for Louise if you want. But and I do think that, that Hudson and Doyle off the cheek being on the pitch is part of our best 11. I, I, so I also was excited that both got some Premier League minutes today. I think. Outside of one cross, uh, I think Hudson Adoy is pretty ineffective, to be completely honest. And um, I, I would agree with your premise, Jeff, that of course, you know, great skill, being able to carry the ball, you know, being able to take people on one on one is is important. When we talked to Ruben, you know, when we had the chance to interview him. Um, the thing that kind of stood out to me when we were asking him about the system was that his defensive ability and his positioning were the things that they were working on week to week the most. And so I think, you know, outside of his kind of dodgy lower back, um, I think that's the thing that's probably kept him out of the side more than anything. We've heard the same, you know, about defensive, you know, positioning about um, Hudson Adoy as well. And, you know, that's the manager's call, right? He has to he has to be able to justify his selections, and if they perform well, great. If they don't, everyone's going to be knocking down his door saying, "Hey, what? You know, why aren't these two young studs playing?" Um, Loftus Cheek is more ready 
today to to take on significant minutes in the Premier League than Callum Hudson Odoi is. I know that's probably going to upset a lot of people. I, in the, I agree with you. Like, I I hundred percent agree. I think that um, I'm 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 not, I'm not upset about either one, but I'm more annoyed that Loftus Cheek because I think he can lock down that midfield spot and make it his own. Like I think he's considerably better than Kovacic and Barkley. I think Hudson Odoi, William, and Pedro are all fairly effective. I mean, Hudson Odoi did nothing today, and I think Wolf did a really good job of closing him down every time he touched it. But like the gap between Loftus Cheek and, and the other guys in competition for that starting spot to me, the gap is much wider than Hudson Odoi and Pedro. I, mean, I think all three of those guys can, can play and be, be effective. Um, Loftus Cheek to me brings a lot to the table. Right. And so, Dan, I'm like, if you look at it, you know, Pedro has been in pretty good form. You know, Williams scoring the occasional goal. Uh, Hudson Adoy got one at the uh, in the Europa League on Thursday, which should have been an eight nothing thrashing. Uh, that was only three nothing. There, there's some significant competition there. Kovacic has not played extraordinarily well in months. Um, out, outside of one performance against Man City in December, I haven't seen him shine um, by any means. Barkley, you know, I think is a shell of his former attacking self. And if Ruben's healthy, I I agree with Jeff that I think he's the better option there. So, I, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the numbers for Ruben in this game, you know, uh, 21 talking about passes, two chances created, two key passes, uh, you know, made some dribbles, which is nice, uh, made a recovery, uh, was able to get fouled, you know, giving us kind of a, you know an option for a free kick that didn't necessarily go uh, go our way. I mean, he he is so much better than it, it would be. You know, if the quoted price for Kovacic is fifty million pounds, it would be a fifty million pound mistake to buy a player who has only gone ninety minutes in a single appearance for Chelsea uh, versus investing the additional time and effort in Ruben Loftus Cheek, who we have seen play in the Premier League, you know, with Crystal Palace uh, for the majority of last season in an effective manner, uh, play for country, you know, in the uh, World Cup in an effective manner. And when he has come on to play with the players at Chelsea, uh, when he has been free of injury or has been worked back appropriately, come in and affect the game in an appropriate manner. Uh, I do agree, Nick. I think that... um, Callum didn't shine as much as he has in some of his previous matches. I think, you know, he's match against, you know, Dynamo when he comes in and gives us a little bit of spark and ends up getting the goal was fantastic. And yeah, that was a really big, you know, really, really big deal. Um, this was not his finest game, but again, I actually don't think most of the players had a really great game to begin with. So, you know, I think, you know, he was more let down by a lot of the situations and just how compact the Wolverhampton defense was but Ruben definitely adds a different dimension and you know in comparison to Kovacic and Barkley you know is should be the first choice as long as he is healthy I like Ruben he's so dynamic right and I think that um I mean that's why everyone loves him he's got a great attitude he's got a great smile he just yeah I I mean it's got to be close to running out of time for Chelsea to kind of figure out with him that's my biggest concern uh, Callum, I think we've already realized that he's, he's, he's made up his mind. I don't think he's going to stick around that much longer. You know, who knows the transfer ban might ironically cement his place in there, but, um, you know, I think our listeners, you guys should get in touch. There's a ton 
a ton, a ton to dive into that middle three specifically. I think, you know, Calm's a little bit unluckier. Just the fact that there are two seasoned veterans in front of him and an Ed Nazard. Ruben, though, he, I mean, he's, it's there for the taking. So I, I hope, I hope he is healthy and, and can stay healthy and ready to go. Uh, but I kind of want to wrap up discussion a little bit now that we've talked about the hashtag Cobham crew. Um, there were other players who offered a less than lively performance during the match. So, uh, Dan, kicking off with you, who are you most disappointed by today? And the player ratings that we can run through real quick are from Liam Toomey of ESPN UK saying, Gonzalo Iguain was a 5, Mateo Kovacic was a 5, David Luiz was a 5. Um, yeah, I think we can start with the 5s, huh? <laughs> yeah, the uh, the 5 crew. Um, not the, the, the unfabulous five, um, man, I mean, we already talked about Kovacic, so we'll kind of move on from that one, but man, I, I know Nick probably wants to get into this too, but Higuain was definitely off pace, had a real opportunity to just knock in a, a sitter at one point during the match and could have done, I think a fair bit better. Uh, just really, really looked like he was not up to the same speed as a couple of other players and, that was just unfortunate. Um, you know, I think, Nick, that we, you know, were hoping that we would see the Higuain that scored, you know, 30, 40 goals in a season and we so sorry. And uh, we have not scratched the surface to uncover uh, that individual underneath the shell of the player that we have right now. No, I mean, <clears throat> he's also getting used to a league, too. So, like, I, I can I have a little bit more patience with him than I do with some of our other players. Um, but he was terrible. Dan and I um, were talking after the uh, after the match against Kiev midweek. I personally think, and I know this is not a popular opinion, but I personally think that Giroud is our best forward for for what we are facing in the Premier League. His hold up play is world class. I know he doesn't bang him in. I get that, but he makes everyone around him better. France wouldn't have won the World Cup without him. Um, I know he's been off this year, but like his form in the Europa League and you know in limited starts in the Premier League, I think is what we need to win. And winning is the only thing that matters. Uh, it's not about playing sexy football. It's about getting three points week in and week out. I think Giroud gives us the best chance to do that. And I think if he would have played today, that <clears throat> Wolves backline would have had their hands full which would have, I think, taken the emphasis off of Eden Hazard and, and some of our other players. So I know that's that's going to probably just be like, oh, well, so we, we brought in this world-class striker to not play. He hasn't been that great, guys. I, like, not to this point. I know that he's, he's adapting quickly, Jeff, but uh, this has not been the guy that I anticipated. And we said at the beginning uh, of his loan spell that if he didn't get 12 goals or there or thereabouts, that it wasn't going to be a successful loan spell. And he's not even close to that right now. Yeah, I mean, the only times he's really been all that effective since coming here or going to Chelsea was, you know, when he makes the, makes those runs for those, you know, low crosses and he, and he finishes them. I mean, he obviously had that shot from outside the box, I guess, you know, several games ago now. But, you know, if he's not making those runs, then he's, he doesn't bring much to the table. I mean, he doesn't, he's not pacey. He's not going to beat defenders to the ball and, and, you know, have breakaways, things like that. Um, he's 
not great in the air, I meaning at least compared to Drew. Uh, his link up play is pretty good and looked good against, uh, it looked good with Hazard like three weeks ago, but it hasn't been great since then. Um, and today, I mean, he just, he had no space, so he could, you know, get the ball and turn and shoot. And in the final, I don't know, 30 minutes, like, I don't know if he, if he really got any clear touches on the ball. Um, and so without that movement, then he's just sort of taking up space. And there were a bunch of times where, you know, Aspilicueto or Emerson or somebody was getting ready for a cross and he just sort of stood there. And, you know, especially against the team that has eight guys in the box defending, you know, if you're not basically running to the ball before it's delivered, you're not going to beat the defenders to the ball. And he just sort of stood there and basically watched the ball go over his head or watched the ball go past him. Um, the, the sitter that he missed, I think there was a deflection and maybe threw him off a little bit, but he probably should have finished that anyway. But to me, you know, in the, in the Europa League, you know, you saw Drew's link-up play. Guys were basically playing the ball off of him like a wall, and he was giving it back to them, back heel, whatever. You know, Iguain doesn't really bring that to the table. And I think against a, a packed-in defense like this, where you're either going to score basically off a header or, you know, a, a neat link-up play in the middle of the uh, 18, you know, Giroud's better at both of those than Iguain. And, you know, Iguain, I, and I, I think the perception of his was he's going to go back to being world-class like he was three years ago under Sar. He's just not that player anymore. And for him to basically have to get match fit and up to speed in a league he's never played in before mid-season in a Champions League race, Champions League top four battle, uh, I just think a lot was expected of him. He's just not... I don't know if he ever had a chance to live up to it. I mean, I don't know. I thought he was I thought he was decently engaged, but, I mean, you make fair points, Jeff. I, I was leaning towards David Luiz, personally. I just think that <clears throat> at least Chelsea we're creating chances. The fact that you give up one chance and you give up one goal, like is yeah. a goalkeeper. That just, that's ridiculous. It, it's so, so frustrating. And, um, I think it was, uh, Alex McGovern put on Twitter, just the fact that like David Luiz doesn't track back once he gets beat. And that essentially someone 20 yards deeper than him on wolves just blew past him. And they could be a little misleading, but you know, it's just, it's it's been a weird season that has made us question some of our fan favorite players. Obviously, David Luiz will go down in Chelsea history uh, for what he did to win the Champions League. You know, he's come back again. Uh, you know, won the league three three back set um, was phenomenal. But again, it's just you're to the point where you know he's in contract negotiations with negotiations with the club. Andreas Christensen has to be sitting here going. Hey, I've had a couple good performances. Are we ready to go? But, you know, David Luiz brings leadership. He's a ball-playing center back. Um, it, but unfortunately, you're, I think we're, we've always had that question, do the, the pros outweigh the cons, do the positives outweigh the negatives? And today was just one of those days where it didn't, unfortunately. And, um, you know, I, I haven't really seen a decent free kick out of him in a while either. And so if he doesn't even offer that threat, Again, you're just starting to kind of limit the the things that he can do. So um, I, I think it's I mean, easy he, to, he also, to. He also looks super frustrated all the time. Like he's always yelling at people when he yeah. doesn't have a pad. Like it's all the time, and it's like okay. I mean, I get it. Some guys aren't in the right positions at all times, but he just doesn't look happy with any of his. Especially today, I guess he didn't look happy at all. And like to me, like the thing that made him a fan favorite was like you know those marauding runs. 
uh, you know, into the opponent's final third, and, and you know, the ball's over the top, and he's always happy, and he was, you know, putting his body on the line. And, you know, he still plays those balls over the top, but he never really goes on those marauding runs, which is fine, because he would never track back. But, like, in a game like today, to me, they were they were giving him some space to move up. And, you know, just Christensen actually really does this well, in my opinion. He dribbles it up basically until the defender is near him, and then he plays it off. And I just think Louise is happy to say, hey, you know, I'm going to play these 40-yard balls, uh, you know, switch fields or over the top. And today, I think it really called for somebody to, you know, dribble to a defender, engage a defender, and then pass it and sort of try to create some sort of space or create a 2v1 somewhere along the way. And, uh, you know, Louise, like you said, I mean, if he's not bringing those, that's those sort of those free kicks and those, the, the runs, it's just, you know, what does he really bring to the table? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think him and Aspie Laquita both have been casting a little bit of a, an unflattering light this season. And, um, it, I don't know. It's, um, it's it, it's tough like for fans i guess that's what i'm trying to say it's tough to watch players that have performed at such a high level for so long for chelsea uh now all of a sudden you kind of have to question your i don't know if i'd say loyalty but you know question their their abilities and it's a really kind of it's a really uncomfortable thing um well, but- you're, you're you're questioning their ability to execute in the in the today you know it doesn't change the history or a relationship with those players but i think they're you know, can always be a level of question about where they're at within a current performance and evaluating particularly our back line. You know, I think each and every one of them right now in this match that we just had were extremely culpable for, you know, when, you know, Wolves had their one shot, their one opportunity for not being in the right positions or not executing appropriately uh, from Asby to Emerson and in between with Rudiger and Louise. And that's not to say that there aren't things that we love about those players that go beyond this match or extend into the future and, and come from the past. But in this instance, uh, none of them were in, you know, in, in a moment to say that they were, you know, even in consideration for being like a player of the match or being an impact player, they were, uh, average at best. So yeah, and part of it's like in the system, right? Like we're reacting in here now, saying, "Hey, we need to get top four. Is David Luiz the best option? Is Espilicueta the best option? Is Jorginho the best option? You know, whatever Kovacic, Barkley, whatever it may be. That's just the situation we're at right now. That again, I have to ask for these really hard questions uh, and try to get away from the emotion and the passion." Uh, which is obviously hard for fans because that is what we do, obviously. Um, Want to go ahead and wrap it up here. One last thing from at Sublarson08 saying, was today's result due to lack of quality in the squad? Question mark. And I know RLC is not up to full fitness, so it's better to come on in the last 30, 35 minutes, but I really can't see what Kovacic brings to the team. Um, anyways, I want to focus on the first part of that. So real quick, Nick, do you think that today's result is due to a lack of quality or you could even say fatigue, which is something we haven't brought up, which I'm kind of happy about. Uh, I don't think either, actually. Like, I mean, we, we were just talking about you know some fives across across the board. Even those fives, like Wolves, were still scared to play with Chelsea. Like, if you if you really kind of take a macro approach to this game, Wolves set at least nine men behind the ball. For the entire match. I mean, uh, there was a comment when you were talking about, you know, as a goalkeeper that you give up one goal off of one opportunity. 
there were many comments during this match from the uh, from the commentary crew on NBC Sports where they were questioning if uh, Aretha Balaga had touched the ball in like periods of 10 minutes. <laughs> like, you know, like if you're thinking about that, I mean, of course he did. It was, it was, uh, you know, kind of posturing, but, but you know, that that's kind of crazy that the game was played in their half. The entire game was played in their half minus, you know, maybe, a, you know, 10 whole minutes. So I, I really don't think it was due to quality. I think we brought on quality, you know, in, in terms of all that, but I think it was due to approach. Uh, you know, we we did not in the in the middle of this match. And the thing that I think people are pointing to other managers around the league, like a Pep, uh, like a Solshire, like you know any of these other guys, and they would have immediately recognized that Wolves were not there to mess around in our half and tried something different immediately, not before the end of the first half. And I think it was down to approach uh, more than anything. I. I you know, I think there is in there was enough quality on the pitch today, Dan, for for Chelsea to get a result, and I don't think they approached it correctly, personally. Yeah, I mean, if you knew that they were going to sit back and shell up, you have to think about approaching it differently. I think one thing uh, one of our Patreon members, uh, Nick, did bring up though was asking if it was okay to call yourself a fan if you're booing your own team, and it was in relation to. Jorginho getting uh, sarcastically oh, clapped off and awful. booed off the pitch. Um, oh, I, I will say, um, you know, not being on the ground, but I will say being, you know, a supporter and listening uh, through the audio broadcast, what I could hear for the majority of the 90 minutes was the, um, is it a library or the Wolverhampton fans making a ton of noise and the very, very limited amount of times that I heard something from what you would be able to easily identify was the Chelsea supporters. Um, the only moment was the or two moments, the end Hazard goal and Jorginho getting subbed off, which I think is, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you can be critical of, but there's so much talk about like supporting the players and supporting, you know, the people on your team and trying to build confidence into them. And that has to be an ultra demotivator and I think it's pretty pretty embarrassing you know when it uh, when it all kind of shakes out so I agree at Sid celery said he was there um, and he thought that the fans were sarcastically clapping it, not because Georgina was going off because it wasn't a like for like sub I appreciate that theory I just feel like the minority in the ground felt the same way he did I'm 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 worried that it's actually not the majority of the people weren't that clever. Well, you're you're the the evidence on your side of thinking there is you know the majority of the evidence because people have booed Jorginho, they've jeered him, they've made fun of him, you know, and it's all because of the you know, I everyone points to him as the teacher's pet and I think so much so that he had to come out in an interview this week and say, "Hey guys, uh, by the by, just a just a footballer at Chelsea. I don't I don't run by Sorry's house to talk about game plans during the week. I don't go out to dinner with him. You know, we aren't uh, you know we aren't best friends. He's the manager. He tells me what to do, and I do my best to do it. And so, I, so you're saying, Nick, if they did a 23andMe, they would not be connected via DNA match? <laughs> no, no, like it, it's crazy. It is fucking crazy." Uh, that that he would have to come out in an interview and say that, and I would I would bet 
you know, more than almost anything that there will be a point if uh, Iguain's loan is extended that he's going to have to do the same kind of interview because I think, you know, there's a, a, you know, a really tough kind of split amongst the fans of, is this the right system? Is this the right manager? Are the players that he brought in the right players? And I think that Jorginho is getting an extreme amount of vitriol because of that. And that is really, really, really frustrating I don't think that Sid is correct here, although I've met him and he is very nice and, and a wonderful guy. He was there and I could very well be wrong, but it it did not sound like a chorus of people who were sarcastically applauding. Do you I'll think, put it that way. Do you think it, like, it hurts the perception of Jorginho when Sorry comes out and says, well, Jorginho didn't play well because the other guys weren't moving around for him or he doesn't play well if nobody else plays well. Like it's the, it, it always feels like he's making excuses for Jorginho. And obviously that has nothing to do with Jorginho. He can't control what Sarri says. But I almost feel like for those who don't like Jorginho or don't believe that he's useful to the team, I'm not one of those personally. But I do think when Sarri comes out and sort of makes excuses for his, um, you know, for a poor performance and basically blames it on everybody else, I don't think that helps perception or helps you know, win over fans that don't really like him. Oh, not at all. I think that it does the exact opposite, yep, which continues to drive the divide, but, you know, in, in perception around what Jorginho does and doesn't bring to the table. And, you know, there were a couple of moments in the game where he had some great moments, you know, great, did some great contributions, put a ball forward that, you know, could have been capitalized on by Higuain was trying the over top ball a little bit more. Uh, and then also a couple of really just, Awful passes, uh, forward passes, mind you. Let's, you know, again, dispel the myth that he can only pass backwards. Like, they were forward passes because Wolves were guarding the passing lane. They were pressing the passing lanes that Jorginho was working on, not actually Jorginho himself. So you saw the pocket of space, and you just were looking at it. You're like, oh, Jorginho's not getting pressed, so he should have time in this match to do what he does and make a major impact. But they were sitting, you know, one, two players at any given time on where the logical progression was going to be for him to move, which really limited, you know, some of his effectiveness. All right. Well, uh, we are running long, so we need to move through the end of this. Uh, real quick, Dan of the Match poll, um, tell the listeners your little game you played. Yeah, uh, I didn't want anybody to get it wrong, so it was an open book test, Smart. Uh, essentially. Yeah, uh, 100% people got it right because the only option was Ed and Hazard. So it was just the letters E, D, E, and N. Uh, apparently, the first E, 60% of the vote, so I guess... You know, capital E wins, but uh, Eden Hazard is the winner, Brandon. No, that makes sense. Uh, interesting to see that the third option was the lowest, if anything. Uh, more of a psychological point. Aaron Atten said very on on Patreon, saying, very frustrating to watch that. Considering we had 16 attempts there, one. What are our chances of top four now? Also, Eden is actually Jesus. Okay. At Hamilton Trey says, so Nick, if Arsenal versus Man U games Nick. draw, Nick. which it wasn't. Nick. Do you still believe we are not going to make top four? Oh, by the way, shout out to Casey. I have family out there. Mediocre barbecue. I don't, Brandon. I'm I'm actually reading it, and it says best barbecue because that's what it is. It's the best barbecue in the country. Um, the hordes can come and fight me on this. If you haven't been to Casey and eaten the barbecue, get off my DMs. I don't. I don't need you. Um, I, I actually agree with you. I've only been to KC once. I had ribs both days, and it was delightful. Oh man, you didn't even get burn ends. That's what we're known for. Come on, now. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. You gotta, you gotta get the burn ends. We'll, we'll do it upright next time. Um, right, fair enough. So, 
Man U lost to Arsenal today, which was actually kind of a surprise. Um, did not see that coming. Um, the, the Game of Thrones character uh, assassinations on uh, on Arsenal apparently are are uh, too early. Uh, so they are now in fourth at 60 points. United right behind them at 58. We're behind United at 57. And Spurs keep tumbling, tumbling, tumbling. They're at 61. So, uh, no, I, I don't feel good. I think this was a terrible weekend for Chelsea Football Club um, in, in the race for a top-four spot. Uh, draws are as good as losses in this in this whole game. Um, we are not in control of our top-four destiny anymore. Um, that would have been the case if we would have uh, won today and then won our game in hand against Brighton uh, and obviously kept winning the entire time, Dan. But... Uh, I don't feel good about it and, uh, you know, convince me otherwise. Well, what I will say is we still have a game in hand. Uh, and if you were to say that, uh, you know, it's very hard to assume anything these days, but if you were to assume we won that extra game versus Brighton, uh, a team that is uh, very firmly um, going to barely make it across the uh, out of relegation zone battle at the bottom of the table, Uh, That would put us up to 60 points, which means we'd be level with Arsenal, but we'd be behind on goal difference. So not only do we need to win that one game in hand, but we're also going to need to uh, win pretty much every game remaining um, and then also hope for some luck, right? You're going to have to hope that, you know, Wolves do the same shit they did against us versus Arsenal when they play them. You're going to have to hope that, you know, Tottenham uh, continues their downward spiral. You're going to have to hope that United uh, stalls. You're going to have to hope that we beat or draw United and Liverpool, um, preferably beat because, again, like it's just a math game at this point, right? You know, we, you know, if you win the, that one game in hand, then you're at 60, so you're level, so you're technically in fifth position. Um and then it could come down to some crazy last day BS issue with goal differential. And you really hope that we can, you know, just start finding the back of the net and not win games one nothing, you know, two nothing, but start winning like by three or four against some of this low level opposition so that we can put ourselves in a position to push ahead, but it is looking more and more precarious every time, Brandon. Yeah, so as it stands, uh Manchester City uh, in first on 74 points plus 58 goal difference. Liverpool in second plus on 73 points plus 51. Spurs uh, trembling in third on 61 points. Remember when they were in the title race? Uh, Arsenal jumping up to fourth on 60 points. United dropped to fifth, 58. Chelsea sit tight in sixth on 57 points. Uh, Jeff, we haven't gotten your take yet, but I know today probably doesn't help. Do you think Chelsea will somehow squeak into the top four at the end of the season or win Europa League to get back to Champions League? Well, I felt a lot better going to sleep last night. I actually checked the uh, the five thirty eight rankings and it was like sixty one percent, and they were the third. They had the third best chance of qualifying for UCL out of the Premier League, and now it's down to fifty. So it's not great. Um, I, I think they're going to find a way into it. I, I think I almost think they have a better chance to win Europa than they do via Premier League. I think, you know, like Nick said, this was a really, really bad result. Um, I felt good. I mean, it was like, you know, you win this and you beat Brighton and or Everton next week and then you win the game in hand and suddenly you are you have a really good, you know, you get the inside track toward a Champions League spot. But now it's like, you know, even if we draw United, then it's still, we still have to somehow pass Arsenal and Tottenham. 
The one thing I'm looking forward to, because I'm assuming Tottenham's going to keep bottling it, is that their supporters are going to say we were never in a top four race. We couldn't have bottled anything. Like they say with the title <laughs> race every two weeks, that they were never in a title race. They're probably going to say that they were never in a top four race either. That's the I will say them finishing six in a uh, title race would be a pretty wonderful end of the season, uh, as long as we also qualify in top four. Yes, I agree with that. All right. Well, like Jeff said, right now, the soccer power index that Dan loves quote has us at a 50% chance of making it into the top four. It actually has this level on points with Arsenal on 74. They squeak by with a plus two goal difference over us. So it's absolute anarchy, absolute mayhem, absolute chaos right now. <laughs> that is what this Premier League season is turning into, thanks to poor officiating. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be too easy. I just wanted to get a plug in here at the end. But anyways, that's going to wrap us up. Thank you, listeners, for checking out what we had this week, staying on this long. You are all amazing. Jeff, an even bigger thank you to hanging out with us on your Sunday evening. Thanks for having me on, guys. I always love it. Awesome. Well, go check out Jeff. He will be uh, a very busy man for March Madness. Uh, but if you want to win the Warren Buffett Million Dollar Bracket, you better follow Jeff. Guarantees. Yeah, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff that puts a your... lot of pressure on me. But <laughs> Jeff, that's give, the people, like give the people your final four before you jump off. Uh, I'll go Duke, I'll go uh, Gonzaga, I'll go Texas Tech, and Ooh. I will go with, um, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stay a little bit shy. I'll go Virginia. Uh, I think they're going to go from losing to a 16 seed to the Final Four. All right, let's take it to the sports book. Oh, let's go. All right. Well, there you go, inside track. But honestly, Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, especially if you have the littlest bit of interest heading into March, March Madness, go find him on ESPN. Um, otherwise, this is a wrap. Part two will coming at you tomorrow, so make sure to go listen to it. Talk a ton uh, about your guys' questions, which are obviously talking about Ed Nazard, Ruben Loftus-Cheek versus Barkley, Sorry Ball, um, and just essentially is there a thing known as Plan B at Chelsea. So that's what's to come. Hope you enjoyed it today. Hit us up on social media, and until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.